Welcome to the Ion Ryan Show, a satellite orbiting the worlds of tech, toys, pro wrestling, and pop culture. Here is your host, Ion Ryan. Hola, amigos, and welcome to another episode of the Ion Ryan Show. It is a pleasure to be back after approximately a 10-day layoff. As many of you know, Sean and I filled in for Greg and Sam, uh, basically on the 149.5 episode of We Podcast and We Know Things. Uh, The feedback for that was truly fantastic. I want to welcome in any new listeners. I want to thank all of the new followers that we gained from that opportunity. And and most importantly, one week after our three-hour episode of We Pod Squad, of of We Podcast and We Know Things, the We Pod Squad takeover, uh, one week after that aired, Greg and Sam celebrated episode 150. Now, as we know, there's actually a couple more bonus episodes uh, sprinkled in there, but but it's been three years that these guys have been delivering high-quality content to to all of us. Remember, although Greg and Sam are, are, are my friends, I'm a fan of them first and foremost, and that's what brought me back into podcasting. So to those two guys, congratulations on your accomplishment and to my friend, my new friend, Sean, thank you so much for, for hosting and, and and helping put together and and really leading the way on the We Pod Squad takeover. Uh, Sean is doing a great job with MRC Tech. Remember that we rotate Tuesdays. So next week, Sean's episode is going to come out. So um, actually, on that note, I want to get a little bit um, I want to get a little bit like personal maybe a little philosophical, whatever, right? This is, I'm an open book. If you've ever met me in real life, talk to me for 10 minutes and you're going to know almost everything about me. And I'm probably going to ask you potentially an inappropriate question. Um, not intentionally inappropriate, but I mean, like, I want to know everything about everybody from the minute that I meet them. I think that's what makes life massively interesting. So I would love to share with you guys a little bit about my life over the past couple of weeks, uh, mainly because really the past week, because it's been so, it's been so darn good. All right. So let's, um, let's go ahead and pretend that that's the first topic of three count. It is now time for Iron Ryan's weekly three count. So really my, this little, this little hot streak that I'm on of being happy, um, it starts with AEW's Double or Nothing. Uh, nope, AEW's All Out. Now, with that said, it has nothing to do with the wrestling show. I thought the show was pretty good. I might talk about it here in a few minutes. Uh, but I, I just, I got to be with my buddies, right? And there's really nothing better than spending time with friends. For a lot of you, you may be like, yeah, dude, I'm with my friends all the time. But for some of you, my type of personality may resonate with you. And it's the fact that I don't always make time for social stuff. I don't always make time to relax. I work a lot. I stress a lot. I sleep a lot. I, I've i developed a terrible habit of if I say I'm going to come, I will come. But I've, 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 I've mastered the art of being like, I don't know, maybe which pretty much always means no, which is a horrible personality trait to have. Uh, and it's one that's that's detrimental sometimes to friendships and it's detrimental to your mental health, not getting out there. So I've decided, you know what, let, let me make a little bit more of a conscious effort to spend some time 
with the people I care about other than like my nieces and nephews or mom or whatever. So I got to spend some time with my buddies and it meant the world to me. The next day I actually got to do promotional work for it. Chapter two It was really cool. Got to take a souvenir photo uh, with my equipment and, and, uh, Pennywise, but get superimposed behind you. We got some decent engagement there, and then uh, Labor Day, I I was taking it easy, and then I decided, you know what? A friend of mine, uh, she she works for me, but she's a friend first. Inviting me over to a barbecue. I went over. I, I met uh, her friends, her family. It, it was awesome. Again, getting out there can do so much positive stuff. For your mental health. If you're anything like me, I'm going to put it all out there. I am weird, right? Like maybe you're listening to this and be like, what? I'm weird too. Or maybe you're one of those lucky people that getting up in the morning, having a routine, following up, following through, uh, maintaining relationships and productivity and motivation. Maybe it's easy for you and you don't even know how blessed you are. But there's some of us out there that have these personality quirks and 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 uh, several other things really going on that it's really hard for us sometimes to do certain things that's just being honest okay that's not woe is me i understand who i am and and listen although sometimes it's a little bit disappointing that i can't do or be some of the ways that other people are uh, there's also things that i do and ways that i am that that somebody that is very routine or regimented or consistent that they couldn't even fathom doing. Okay. It's got its ebbs and flows. It's got its literal ups and downs. Okay. So getting out, spending some time with some people doing some things I was passionate about. It was awesome. Okay. And then really the week kicked off Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, best part of that time was being back at school. See, uh, Tuesday was actually orientation where we invited in all the parents and kids who were enrolling in the school, also transfer students. Now, I don't have any freshmen, okay? My class is a junior and senior level class, but for parents in this community to pay for our school, it's a serious investment. And I felt it very important to be there and let them know that from day one, a teacher who might not have them for three or four years is there for them, is there to support them. Uh, my mother actually said something interesting the other day. My mom is like, is the best, right? Everybody's mom's the best. Uh, but yeah, to me, my mom is the best. And she said, Rye, uh, you, know you know what's so important about high school is in college, you really make yourself a career. But in high school, you really start to make yourself a life, okay? You form a lot of habits. You learn a lot of things. Your worldviews get shaped in some interesting ways. Um, you know, and physically and mentally, that's when your personality develops. And so to be there uh, during those four years for those kids as they go through those struggles and they, they have those failures and successes and it's just an amazing thing. And it's almost like, to me, it was like customer service in a way. Like you are making an investment to send your child to this school. Uh, I'm basically your sales rep. Okay. I'm your dude. I'm your guy that's, that's here for your customer satisfaction. The other thing is the school I teach at is, is physically and socially a massive part of the community. So many of the people that live here went to that school. 
Okay, they, they graduated from that school. And as I said, physically, our campus is massive. Our building is massive. At one point, we were actually basically two schools side by side. There was a boy's side and a girl's side. They operated semi-independently of one another. Uh, so a lot of kids went through that school, like thousands of kids. And uh, we were graduating. At one point, we were graduating classes where it was a thousand kids graduating every single year. The school's been open for 50 plus years. You figure that there is, uh, you know, 75,000 alumni from the school, right? Something of that nature. I, I would have to actually ask uh, uh, the person in our advancement office. I'd actually love to get that number. But whatever the case is, the school's expensive. There's new education options out there. You know, public school in Philadelphia has made a lot of changes. More importantly, there's opportunities for charter schools here in Philadelphia now. And if your child's lucky enough to be chosen there, they go and they get, a, you know, potentially a B plus or A minus education for free. Okay. I've never been to a charter school. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so if a parent is deciding to pay to send their kids somewhere, we have to be there and let them know that they're supported from day one. Okay, I mean, the high school mind, as I recently learned from my professional development course, uh, is kind of like a battlefield. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of development going on. There's literal uh, sections of the brain that have not fully developed yet. Okay, and they're under our tutelage during these developments. So it was important for me to be there. Same thing with Wednesday. Wednesday was freshman day. Okay, we leave the big bad 10th, 11th, and 12th graders home, and that way the kids have a place to be bad. And what I mean by that is bad at navigating the school, or bad at being on time, or bad at you know, finding where they're supposed to be. Okay. They can screw up a little bit without the hustle and bustle of 500 or 800, however many it is other kids in the school. So again, I went in there just to let these kids know like, Hey, I don't have you, but, but I am, I'm a teacher at this school. Okay. I'm, I'm a, I'm an adult at this school that, that's here to support you. I'm a member of this community and neighborhood. And that just meant a lot and getting to know these kids and I think it's going to mean a lot to me in three or four or five, you know, three or four or five years as I see them all grow up. Uh, then Thursday, we I got to meet my classes. Okay, we bring in the 10th, 11th, 12th graders, give our freshmen a day off to mentally recover from their exhausting first day. Uh, so I get to meet my class. Now, I teach a film and media arts course where we delve into theory, production, history, uh, and really we try to harness and unleash creativity. Now, I taught this class with very little notice a couple of times already, but I knew this year that I was coming back. This was going to be my class, meaning I knew that I had to plan out 180 days worth of education for these kids, and I took great pride in doing that. So I introduced that to my new students. It was amazing. I, I Seeing some of the kids in the class I know their parents or I know their brothers or uh, I taught their brothers or sisters already. And they were just such an engaged group of kids. There's something to be said that when you walk in there with a level of confidence uh, and, and authority, if you will, the kids respond to that relatively well. They say, this guy, this guy is going to take us to the promised land. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean, on that same note, when I finally got into the subject matter, I teach stranger things. That's the first thing I teach in the class. 
I, I teach the first three to five minutes of Stranger Things. We print out the script. We look through it. If you're not a screenwriter, or even if you are, uh, basically you can look at that Stranger Things script and all of the building blocks that you need, all of the components you need in order to format a script properly, as if there is a way to do things, quote unquote, properly. It's creativity. You can break rules. But before you can break the rules, you have to know what they are. And Stranger Things does a great job in its first three minutes using titles and voiceover and the descriptions of everything and the rapid fire dialogue. Uh, I, I'm able to explain to the kids, look, they capitalized card table, they capitalized game board, so on and so forth. And we explain that there's thousands of jobs in the film and media world, okay? Maybe you don't want to be a screenwriter. Well, look, looking at this screenplay, we capitalize these props because we need somebody to do set design, okay? And it was just awesome to teach that again and to the, the classroom really honestly got rather electric and that just makes me so darn happy. Uh, but Friday, Friday things got really interesting. My best friend was getting married. He was getting married two hours away from our hometown of Philadelphia. He was getting married in Cape May, New Jersey. Beautiful Cape May, New Jersey. Now, here was the big problem. Sunday, uh, this past Sunday, just if you're listening to this today, it drops two days ago, was the kickoff of NFL season. And I have the good fortune of working in conjunction with our football team here in Philadelphia. I've been doing so for several years. I never miss a home opener. I never miss a game. Uh, I'm always going always going there and working and doing my thing, doing what they ask. So uh, at the last minute, we made a change as to what we were doing this year. And I had to order a ton of equipment. And because of the Labor Day holiday, that equipment and that shipment took way longer to get here than it typically does. So I had to drive down to Cape May, New Jersey, uh, do a two-hour rehearsal dinner, and then drive back to Philadelphia that same night, only to drive back to Cape May the following day for the actual wedding. Now, I was my stomach was in knots over this wedding for, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, the guy that's getting married is my best friend, and I'm in the wedding. And um, a couple months ago, when he had gotten engaged, I knew that he was going to be faced with a little bit of a tough decision, okay? And that's this, is that he has two friends. He's got me, he's got another guy named Jim, okay? He's known Jim for 15, maybe 20 years. He's known me, quote-unquote, all of his life. I lived with him. Um, and really, I, I, I shudder at the thought of what my life would have been if I didn't live with, with Sean in 2010 and 2011. He taught me so much about becoming an adult. Uh, we just had so many great memories together, and, and it's amazing to have memories with people that span being goofy little kids all the way up to being, you know, successful adults. Okay. Really from, we really went from being little boys to men together. And Sean helped me in so many ways. Just rye. Here's how you pay bills. Here's how you save money. Here's how you get ahead professionally. Okay. He, he really ushered me into the phase of my life that I'm in now. And I can never be, I, I, I couldn't be more grateful for that. Now, Sean was the best man at Jim's wedding. Well, all of our life, we always said, oh, well, I'm going to be the best man at Sean's wedding. Well, knowing knowing that it was going to probably coincide with Eagle season, that it was going to coincide with the start of school, 
uh, and knowing that I had a very limited amount of time, especially back in the spring when some of the planning was beginning and I was still, uh, I'd went back to college. I wrote to Sean and said, listen, I'm going to tell you something, pal. You might be thinking right now, how the heck am I going to do this? How am I going to choose between Jim and Ryan as my best man? And I said, I just want to tell you that if you choose Jim, I'm not upset. I'm not upset at all. I, I get it. I, but you know, if you choose me, I'll be there. No problem. It was one of the hardest, hardest things I ever had to do was to be honest with him in that regard. But I didn't want to come up short on expectations. Okay. I didn't want to be a crappy best man. Uh, I also didn't want him to anguish over that decision. I didn't want him to worry about feeling getting hurt. So I struck preemptively. Uh, and ultimately, Sean chose Jim, and Jim is is a good friend of mine, and he he was a great best man. But I felt like I was just consistently disappointing Sean and really his wife, his wife who I didn't even meet until Friday. Sean and his wife have been together for about two years. Well, his now wife, his then fiance, and before that girlfriend. And every single time that he invited me out, I had an excuse. Or I was legitimately busy, but it just never worked out. Never got a chance to spend time with them. So I'm walking into this wedding where I am like the Sean still called me the quote unquote best man. He called Jim his other best man. I eventually called myself the vice best man. Like I was there if if, if Jim got impeached or anything. Um, so, but I'm walking into this situation where I feel like that his soon to be wife just thinks I'm I'm an idiot. And maybe I am. I think she thinks I'm a flake or whatever, and and maybe maybe I was to her. So I got down there. I got to meet her. I got to meet her parents. Sean's whole family was there, who I've known my whole life. And just all of the little stress that I had about not getting that shipment for work was really, it, it, it was washed away by, by the joy and happiness that was this rehearsal dinner down there in Cape May, New Jersey. And... I got a chance to sit down with his wife, talk to her. I got to learn so much about her. Her mom gave this totally tear-inducing speech. And this woman that my best friend is marrying, who I had never met before, which is a surreal thing. Somebody you've known your whole life, you're going to celebrate them making a commitment to somebody for the rest of their life, and you don't know them. Again, that's totally my fault. Uh, But the bride's mother gave this beautiful speech about, really how smart and talented and adventurous and wonderful she was. And it was in that moment that I had this peace and joy and happiness to know that, uh, well, I'll, while I'll always be there for my friend, um, he has everything he needs. I, I was never letting him down or disappointing him. I'm not going to say he didn't need me to be a part of wedding planning or this or that, but he has a circle. He has... He he has his other half, and that was just such an emotionally joyous moment for me to know that somebody that I love more than anything in this world has somebody now that loves them as much, if not more, than I do. And so I was there. I was happy. I said to Sean, I said, Bud, I, I got to go home, man. I got I to gotta go get these shipments all taken care of to get everything ready for work on Sunday, okay? Uh you know, the shipments didn't come because of Labor Day. Let me let me run home, get all of it together, load up the work truck. I'll shoot back down here for the wedding. Did just that. Went home. Uh, my investments were, were worthwhile. The new equipment I brought in is top notch. 
I was absolutely beyond satisfied with my purchase. And so here I am. I'm just kind of riding this high and this 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 joy and excitement. So uh, wake up the next morning, put the finishing touches on loading up the work truck so it would be ready for the game on Sunday. And I go back down to K-Man, New Jersey, and I celebrate my friend's wedding. Now, if you haven't been married before, or maybe, you know, if you have, uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you why I love weddings. And I didn't think I loved weddings until this day. You just bring together pretty much everyone that you care about and put them under one roof. And they all are there to love you and support you. And you're kind of the center of attention in a very positive way. All of these people are there because they see that this is the beginning of the next step of your life. Uh, really, maybe the part of life that's probably the best. Okay. I mean, somebody like Greg, who's married and, and, you know, has a beautiful daughter and a beautiful wife, he can tell you that, yeah, man, my 20s were great and all this stuff. But now, now that I have this house and this wife and this daughter and this family, this is what's going to shape the rest of my life. Uh, until the day that I leave this earth, I will have, I will have this partner and this child and maybe eventually children. And this is, this is, this is my story now. And to be there on that day where my friend kicks off his story, it's, it's absolutely sensational. So I enjoyed the day. I, I felt like that I kind of won over the bride a little bit because I work in live events. So anything they needed, I was there. Grandma needed an escort to the beach. Got it. No problem. Uh, well, actually, I escorted her to the pictures, but oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And I think in that moment, she saw in my in my hyper uh, focus to execute this event to the best of the ability. I think she saw everything she needed to see about my personality. I think she could see, OK, like this guy is just uh, he's a worker. He's a detail oriented guy. He's a get it done kind of guy. And I think in that moment, she was able to understand why something as quote unquote superfluous as uh, going out to dinner for two and a half hours and having a glass of wine with them, that that's just not the kind of person that I am. But in this moment where they're having the biggest and most special day of their life, like I'm right there, man, I'm in the trenches. And again, I just, that just brought me so much joy. Okay. As I, you know, as I said, I'm an open book here, guys. Uh, it's really funny cause I recorded this twice. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what I, what I had talked about in this one and what I talked about in the previous one. Uh, and, and PS, here's a great thing. I saw Greg and he listened to the episode and he said, you know what? He goes, I loved it. It was great. You had this one little hiccup in there. Uh, but, but I love people that don't try to be perfect. And it made me realize that even though I'm operating on, as a member of the We Pod Squad and Sean and Greg and Sam's production values are the best and the way they talk is 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 so professional that, that I don't have to be perfect. Okay, this is, you know, this is my 10th podcast with them or whatever. So we're just going to get better each and every time. So as I said, I started to record this. I didn't really like how long it took, which, by the way, this version is two times as long. Um, but... You know, my mental health, the way that it's affected by my life and the way that my mental mental health effectively impacts my life, it's really this, this crazy thing, okay? Again, you may be a completely normal person that doesn't struggle with, with motivation or you wake up happy or you can be a part of a routine or socially you have a ton of friends or professionally 
everything comes easy to you, but not everybody's like that. And if you are like that, I want you to right now be exceptionally grateful for for that ease, if you will. I'm not saying anybody's life is easy, but but if you don't have a problem getting out of bed in the morning, more mentally than physically, then then you are blessed, my friend. And I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not. Okay, I, I just I have my own things, my own struggles. I guess we all have our own struggles, and mine manifests itself in this very. Uh, very frustrating way. Uh, so, I mean, that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm talking about all of this is because I had a great week. Okay, there's so many times that I complain and that I'm ungrateful and that I'm, I'm, I'm angry. That was a text from a presidential candidate, uh, not personally from the presidential candidate, just somebody who wants me to work on their campaign. Um, uh, but yeah, it was just an absolutely great week. And, and after the wedding, um, uh, I really got the best gift I could possibly get, and that is that my staff said, Rye, enjoy your weekend. We're going to go ahead and we're going to do the home opener for you. Okay, we're going we're gonna to do this NFL game. You've never missed one. Uh, I've never really missed a home opener, but we're going to do it. And that was such a seminal moment in my career that I have finally put together a staff that is reliable, resourceful, and interestingly, I'm going to use an interesting word here, compassionate, that they're able to say, like, you're the boss, but you're also worthy of a personal and professional balance. And if doing this game means ruining your weekend, that's unacceptable. We are going to handle it for you. And they did. They did so flawlessly. Uh, I've finally reached a point with my team that they... um they are, they're all important cogs in the wheel. Okay. I don't mean cogs in the wheels and it is negative. I mean, that is a positive. Every cog has to work in order for this to not come to a grinding halt. And yeah, they did it. They, they lifted me up. Um, and then the night finished with my first viewing, but my 1000th listening and I'll get to that in a little bit of uh, the show Hamilton, and it was it was amazing. So yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe talking about my week for thirty minutes isn't all that interesting to you guys. Maybe it is. Just figured I'd try something different. I'll put the time codes in there and basically say I'm talking about my life. If you want to skip past it to the more interesting things, you can. <laughs> um, but yeah, I enjoy sharing with you guys. And, and as I said, as I talked about mental health, as I talked about my personal life, as I think I've alluded to before, you know, my DMs are always open. Okay. I, I'm a really good trench friend. Okay. I'm a really good person to, to, I like listening. I like helping. I like finding solutions. Um, and I like just, I'm, I'm happy to be an ear for venting. Uh, so, you know, if, if ever in your life there's any goofy little stuff that you're just like, oh, who can I talk to about this? Feel free to DM good old Ion Ryan. I know that in life sometimes there's these situations that it's hard to talk to people about because they either have an opinion or an agenda because they're so close to you, right? That, that if, if you're having a, a problem in your life, they just they know you too well or they don't know you well enough or, or they want something from you. And, and it's hard sometimes to find someone to share things with. Um, 
I know I've struggled with that in my life. I've now built a support system that I have that, which is amazing. I have the people that will just listen or I have the people that have my best interest in mind. Um, but, but, but not everybody does. And you know, God forbid you ever feel like you don't have anyone. I'm here for you. Okay. And I mean that literally with all sincerity in the world. If you want me to listen to your podcast or come to your party or whatever, it's in my personality. I may be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. But if you ever write me and say, dude, I need to talk to someone about X, Y, or Z, uh, you wouldn't believe how quickly I would respond to that. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit about my life. Uh, not to brag, you know what I mean? I'm not bragging here. I'm just saying like sometimes in our stressful world where where we're just so angry or annoyed or overwhelmed to take a step back and say, wow, this is awesome. This was great. This was a great week. This was like an amazing, what do we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, like an amazing 10 day span for me. I'm just so grateful for that. So grateful for my people. So grateful for my opportunities. So grateful for my experiences. And I guess I'm just saying that, you know, maybe you could take stock on some of the stuff that that makes you happy uh, and try and do that more. Cut out the stressful stuff to the best of your ability, if at all possible. Uh, make some changes when possible. Uh, and uh, yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to other things. So next up, I'm going to talk a little bit about AEW. Now, I'm not going to give you the results of All Out. It's a little bit too long ago for us to do that. Um but I want to talk about some good things and some bad things that I saw going on with AEW. Uh, so first and foremost, I think that we can still see that their talent is really second to none. Okay, They, they do have a very talented roster. We saw that at All Out. We saw the three-way between uh, Joey Janela and Darby Allin and Jimmy Havoc that they can do a lot of different styles. And they, they've got some guys that aren't played out or over the hill here in North America. Uh, they also made the right choice by putting the belt on Chris Jericho. Uh, now, what happened to Chris Jericho was was rather interesting. Uh, I believe Greg mentioned this on the last episode of We Podcast and We Know Things, but Jericho, who was every bit of 48 years old and also a total rock star and still one of the best storytellers in wrestling, uh, he went out to celebrate his AEW title victory at uh, none other than Longhorn Steakhouse. <laughs> and uh, he may or may not have had a few drinks, and he ended up losing the AEW world title. Now, I don't mean that in the fact that he had a match and he uh, lost the title. I mean that somewhere along the line, there was some sort of... Uh, who knows, situation where Jericho left the title somewhere and it went missing. Uh, now, what's really interesting is, of course, it went super viral right away. It was a little bit of like a what an idiot kind of thing. But there was also this element of like, LOL, this is really funny, especially in light of Chris Jericho's post-match celebration at All Out. A video was posted on AEW's social media where Jericho kind of roasted everyone backstage. And the clip ended with a little bit of a hilarious um, uh, moment, I guess I'll say. It's the fact that Chris Jericho ends up at this table where there's a bottle of champagne. He's the new AEW champion. And, and he looks at the table and he says, uh, hopefully I can drop in a clip here. He goes, a little bit of the bubbly. A little bit of the bubbly. 
a little bit of the bubbly, something of that nature. And, and of course, Chris Jericho now, who has had some of the best catchphrases in all of professional wrestling. Back in the day, uh, we're talking almost 20 years ago now, he was wreaking havoc on the WCW Cruiserweight division. And he, he was injuring guys, and he was he fought some guys for their masks, and he was disrespecting their deceased parents. It was crazy. And Jericho, kind of in this madman gimmick, did this whole, like, I will never... Ever do it again? I can't even do it justice. He's had the, I'm the best in the world at what I do. He's had the, uh, you know, the 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 drink it in, man. The, um, you just made the list. Uh, Jericho has had so many catchphrases throughout his career, and now all of a sudden, here we are again, a little bit of the bubbly, and, and it became instantly memeable. Okay, uh, people edited together. A version of him saying a little bit of the bubbly with Mambo number five. Uh, they <laughs> also edited a version where uh, they they put it into Limp Bizkit's Nookie. I I don't think that that attention would have been brought to it if Chris Jericho wasn't presumably a little bit drunk and lost or had stolen the AEW uh, championship. Now, fortunately, I believe it was the Tallahassee Police Department uh, recovered the belt. And our AEW champion has his title back. And, and of course, he probably celebrated with a little bit of the bubbly. Uh, that hashtag, a little bit of the bubbly, actually trended worldwide for a little while, which again is another great thing. Another great thing for AEW. So them losing the title and Jericho having this funny little moment about, about the bubbly, uh, it was actually a really good thing. Uh, now, I want to get to the bad thing, okay? And that is this. That AEW's production values right now are actually, the production values are very good. It's the production execution which is lacking ever so slightly. And what I mean by that is, they actually look way too similar, in my opinion, to WWE. They actually look like a bootleg version of WWE in the fact that that they, they seem to be trying a lot of the things that Vince McMahon's company does but they're not doing it as well. And that's a problem, okay? If you are unique and in light of the conversations that we've had earlier in this podcast, if you just come as you are with all of your flaws, that's one thing, okay? We can accept that. But there's this small little problem with AEW that when I turn it on, outside of maybe the performers in the ring, I'm not 100% certain that it's not WWE, Okay, uh, they're doing similar lighting things. They're they're putting the, the these colored lights over the audience. They're wrestling in equally large arenas to WWE, and they've got several of those lined up for their television. But they're trying to do WWE, and they can't do it quite as well as WWE. Okay, they have to find a unique production style. Okay, the values are there. Okay, the lighting is good. The camera quality is great. But the camera angles and the way that it's edited, it just looks too much like a WWE knockoff. And I, I would rather see them incorporate elements 
of you know a company like Chikara. Okay, they they do this great angle, and I know this because I actually shot some of their their test footage one time, uh, where they actually have their camera person in one of the four corners on the ground, and you're getting a view of the entire ring, and you're shooting up at wrestlers, which was really helpful. I don't know if Chikara does this on purpose, but when your wrestlers are closer to 5'8 than they are to 6'8, it makes all the performers seem a little bit bigger. Uh, a company like New Japan Professional Wrestling will stay with holds for a long time and stay on the same cameras, and they'll have this beautiful mix of wide shots and close-ups. But during AEW's All Out, there was moments such as when MJF was being held back by Earl Hebner as as... as Tully Blanchard was wreaking havoc on the other side of the ring that was like, well, where's MJF? Okay, I know that you're trying to do a WWE style shoot, but WWE would have cut to that. Even if I would have thought that was annoying that they had a cameraman pointed at MJF, whatever, they, they would have told the story. Nothing would have gotten lost in translation. There was also moments where uh, I believe it was the 21st woman to enter the battle royale with all of the women. It was Mercedes, Mercedes Martinez, who... Uh, I've done a couple different things on AEW. I don't know if I mentioned that, but we thought that maybe she would show up, and she did. That was cool. Prediction came true. But they like almost missed her entrance, but even more importantly, they missed Awesome Kong's exit from the Battle Royal. She got thrown out right as Mercedes, Mercedes Martinez was supposed to come out. I, I don't know if that was the fault of the in-ring performers or the production truck or what, but... They screwed up this moment where the largest woman in the ring just got unceremoniously dumped over the top as the quote-unquote biggest surprise of the match was making their way to the ring. That's just kind of unacceptable from a production standpoint, okay? Now, if you were there live, you would say, oh my gosh, Awesome Kong, oh my gosh, Mercedes Martinez. But AEW has to remember that the viewer is seeing this through their cameras, and now that they're going to television, and that's one of the biggest selling points of AEW is that they've got TV, they're going to have to get all this together and in a hurry. They're going to have to find their own style. Uh, they're going to have to, I guess it'll be interesting because right now we've only seen pay-per-views. So there's all these different, they're doing like slightly different ring entrances. We'll see exactly what the ring entrance looks like on their weekly television program where they'll have a little bit more consistency, where they're operating in similar buildings, where they're getting more practice more often, right? In the first month of AEW on TNT, which is a little bit over three weeks away, October 2nd, they're going to do as many shows in one month as they've done in their first nine months of existence, okay? So they're going to get a lot more practice, but that's, that's my number one complaint with AEW right now is that if being on television is the most important part of your potential popularity and ability to compete within the market, uh, you need to nail uh, being on TV. You need to be a darn good television program. Uh, now, with that said, the other thing, AEW was really good. Okay, it was. Like I said, All Out was very good. You saw some moves you've never seen before. You've seen styles and performers that are, that are brand new, which makes it really exciting. But they got overshadowed ever so slightly, and that was NXT UK, okay? NXT is coming to um, a television near you on Wednesday nights directly against AEW on September the 18th, okay? They're going to compete directly with AEW. That's WWE's quote-unquote minor league system, 
NXT. Uh, NXT also has a sister company over in the UK, okay? And that's got a lot of stars in it. These uh, four main stars off the top of my head is uh, Trent Seven, Pete Dunne, and Tyler Bate. Those guys are all friends. They kind of make up this group, Mustache Mountain. They, they, it's really cool. And the, the, the main champion right now is a massive Austrian man named Walter. Okay, so they matched up Walter against Tyler Bate, who Tyler Bate is, by the way, only about 22 years old, which is mind-blowing. A lot of times by the time that we see guys in WWE, they are... 25 or 30 because they have to get experience in order to get noticed by the WWE but somehow some way they identified Tyler Bate as a as a contender and as a worthy acquisition when he was about 18 years old I think when he won the NXT championship for the first time he was the inaugural champion I think he was only 18 or 19 when it happened uh, so the UK show which ran on the same day as AEW's uh, all out the main event was Tyler Bate versus Walter. Now, this will not surprise you. Uh, well, maybe it will. <laughs> Tyler Bate has actually had a match of the year against his friend Pete Dunne for the AE, uh, for the NXT UK Championship. So, he, we know that he's a very capable wrestler. And this is the first time that Walter was matching up against a, a, a smaller opponent, at least in NXT UK. Uh, a smaller opponent that that was this much smaller than him. And the David and Goliath story that they told over their 45-minute match immediately makes this match a match-of-the-year contender. And unfortunately, AEW, which ran later that night, did not produce a match-of-the-year contender. And that right there is, is you know, a little bit of a problem, but AEW is going to catch up on quality. Right now, you figure... They're treading water. They don't have weekly television. They're they're with the stars. We don't know what their we don't know what their all their personalities or stories are quite yet. But but that definitely sucked for AEW. That NXT UK their main event outshined uh, the AEW main event. But again, I really think they'll catch up on quality. I think it's going to be really interesting that AEW is going up against NXT. NXT also is going to be moving to two hours live on a Wednesday night. They've never done that before. Prior to that, they've had the uh, ability to, to edit, and you'll see it very occasionally. They they screw up a, a move, and they actually edit it. Okay, uh, now it'll be interesting to see how they function producing a live television show for NXT. A lot of these guys are still young and still green, and that's why they're down there and not in WWE. So uh, NXT starts on the USA Network on September 18th, and continues on September 25th, and then it goes head-to-head -head with AEW on October the 2nd. Now, uh, an important note here. I don't know if this is because USA Network has a prior commitment to air something but on the 18th and 25th of September NXT the first hour will be on on television okay whatever channel USA is on your cable box and the second hour is going to be on the WWE network so in order to see that you're going to have to be a member or sign up for a free trial i believe the first month is always free uh, no word officially, I don't think, on if a on uh, if NXT is going to air its full two hours on October second on the USA Network. 
I imagine it will, and I imagine it will going forward. But if I find out any more news on that front, I'll definitely let you know. So uh, WWE's hottest property, NXT, is coming to a television near you on September 18th. And AEW, the WWE's first major competition, is coming to a television near you on October the 2nd on TNT. Uh, Let's get into topic number three. Next up, have you ever purchased something and been greeted by the anxiety-inducing label that reads, this product is known to the state of California to cause cancer and birth defects? I know, we're really off the rails here, but I've seen that label on pillows and mattresses I've purchased. I, I've seen it on toys. I've re- But here's the deal. I've recently read... Um, or really listened to Rob Lowe's book uh, called Stories I Only Tell My Friends. I listened to that on Audible. We'll have more on Audible in a minute here. Uh, But he tells a story in the book about a mid-80s bus tour he took with a whole host of other celebrities to advocate for the California legislation now known as Prop 65. So Prop 65 took shape when Californians became aware of certain carcinogens in their drinking water. Some businesses were guilty of discharging chemicals knowingly and more so, hopefully, unknowingly into areas where they'd eventually mix with the state's drinking water. This was rightfully deemed unacceptable. So the legislation... Uh, was proposed and later grew to include protecting people from things like, let's say, lead paint and other hazardous chemicals that are oftentimes present in products before, during, or after their creation. Uh, In total, California has identified over 900 different hazardous chemicals, and they now must all be labeled. These products must be labeled because Prop 65 passed successfully in the mid-80s thanks to Oh, really the California voters, but Rob Lowe kind of takes credit for it in his book, which is funny. Uh, I don't know how serious he is about that. Um, But now before you start to freak out, you have to understand the criteria they use to determine if a product requires this label. Uh, The warnings on products that we occasionally see are based on this. If you are exposed to this chemical in this product for 70 years, Is there a 1 in 100,000 chance that you might develop cancer from it? If the answer is yes, the product must carry that label. Now, this is great. No one wants toxic lead paint in their homes or harmful plastic in their cups or whatever. By the same token, there are several million things on this planet that could kill you if you were exposed to them every day for 70 years, okay? It took us a long time to learn that tobacco was as dangerous as it was. It's taking us a shorter time to hear that apparently vaping is is probably predictably pretty dangerous for you. Uh, so this legislation has been criticized both fairly and unfairly for its, its broad reach and ambiguity. Uh, for example, it's resulted in some California businesses like Disneyland or Starbucks posting vague signs to comply with the law without posting uh, much other information. They basically just say, our stuff could kill you, we guess. Now you know. But listen, if I died as a result of an illness brought on by spending every day at Disneyland for 70 years, I don't know if I'd really mind. Uh, Now, here's the good part. 
In 2018, a change was made that required companies to disclose specifically what the issue may be. So that's a step in the right direction. So I guess here's the thing. Uh, If you're buying one of these products, are you giving yourself a death sentence? Uh, The answer is no, not necessarily. If you're exposing yourself to a product that has this tag on it, and I hope that some of you are familiar with this tag or you just think I'm a crazy person. Um... If you're doing that for a prolonged period or ingesting it, then, then maybe it could be cause for concern, especially if you're going to be around it for 70 years. But like anything, I urge you to do your own research and determine your own opinions. Uh, so that's the story behind Prop 65. I just I, I had always wondered about that. I had always been so freaked out when I buy something that says this could cause cancer in the state of California, which obviously the reason they do that is California on its own would be what the fourth biggest economy on the planet. If it wasn't a part of the United States, meaning that there's a ton of consumers in California. So it's probably easier when they create some of these things in factories overseas to just slap this label on all of them. So it's legal to sell it in California without making a different palette that says, okay, this one goes to California and California alone. So They put these labels on everything and people all the way over here on the other side of the country in Pennsylvania will see them. Um, So that's the story behind Prop 65 and those anxiety inducing labels. Uh, To learn more about Prop 65, you can go to California, uh, excuse me, CA.gov and you can just search Prop 65 in there and it'll give you some more information. Also, if you're not an Audible member yet, uh, you can head to ionryan.pro slash audible to claim your trial membership. I believe you get one or two free books with it. Uh, But audiobooks are great for commuters, people who work at home, people who can use headphones at work, uh, and people that, like me, just can't concentrate on reading. Uh, So since starting my Audible subscription three years ago, some of my favorite listens have included the book The Last Days of Night, which which is about Edison and Tesla's battle over the light bulb. Uh, One of my other favorite books is Star Wars from a Certain Point of View, which features several voice actors, including... John Hamm as Boba Fett. That's that's John Hamm from Mad Men. Uh, he tells the Boba Fett story, which is just awesome. Uh, one of my other favorite books on there, if you're a wrestling person, is The Squared Circle by David Shoemaker. Uh, this is a pretty comprehensive story about the history of professional wrestling. I learned a lot of historical facts that I was unaware of, such as uh, the debate between if wrestling should be be a shoot or a work, right? If they should determine the winners or if some matches should be real and some should be fake, uh, you learn a lot about the early goings on in, in the carnival and vaudeville type performances and how they would trick the audience and how it was part real and part fake. So those are my three book subscriptions. And as I said, I'm going to create a link that's going to be ionryan.pro slash audible. And if you sign up, I, I think I get a buck or two for it. So if you're considering doing so, please use my link. Uh, if for some reason that link doesn't work because I haven't made it yet, uh, go ahead and just head to ionryan.com, click on this show, and I'll include it in the show notes. Ryan is a proud member of the We Pod Squad. Don't forget to tune in this Friday for a new episode of We Podcast and We Know Things. And next week for MRC Tech Presents The Last Podcast.
And now for our feature presentation. I discussed this a little bit earlier in the show, but I had the opportunity to see Hamilton on Sunday night. So I want to give you a little bit of a history, tell you a little bit of the story, and kind of give you some of my reactions to the show. Uh, So here is the history of Hamilton. On May 12th, 2009, Lin-Manuel Miranda was invited to the White House to perform some music from his Broadway hit, Into the Heights. Well, kind of. Uh, The invite came as a part of President Obama's poetry and music and spoken word night. Miranda wasn't even mentioned in the press release announcing the event, and it's unclear to me whether he was omitted because he was a surprise, or if at the time they considered him not worth mentioning. After combing through some of the archives and news articles, there wasn't actually anything written about this event other than the official White House press release. President Obama was less than four months into his presidency, and social media was still in its infancy. Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube were no more than five years old at that point, and Instagram hadn't even been created yet. So, uh, although this was just ten years ago, things didn't necessarily go viral the way that they do now. Uh, While it was streamed on WhiteHouse.gov, Miranda's video wasn't posted on the White House's official YouTube until six months later, in November 2009. Even then, Google searches for Lin-Manuel Miranda or Lin-Manuel Miranda Hamilton barely moved the needle on Google. On a scale of 1 to 100, uh, the Google trends at that time for him were 0, 1, or 2. (laughs) So I want to share with you Lynn's White House performance in its entirety. It's four minutes and 30 seconds, and it appears courtesy of the Obama White House's YouTube channel, which has been archived and placed in the public domain. My God. Um, I'm I'm thrilled uh, the White House called me uh, tonight uh, because uh, I'm actually working on a hip-hop album, Uh, it's a concept album about the life of someone I think embodies hip-hop, Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) You laugh, but it's true. Um, He was was born uh, a penniless orphan uh, in St. Croix of illegitimate birth, um, became George Washington's right-hand man, uh, became Treasury Secretary, caught beef with every other founding father, and all on the strength of his writing, I think he embodies uh, the word's ability to make a difference. Uh, so uh, I'm going to be doing the first song from that tonight. I'm accompanied by Tony and Grammy-winning music director Alex Lacamoire. Uh, anything you need to know, I'll be playing uh, Vice President Aaron Burr. Uh, and snap along if you like. How does a bastard orphan son of a whore and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished in squalor grow up to be a hero and a scholar the ten dollar founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being a self-starter by 14 they had placed him in charge of the trade and charter and every day while slaves were being slaughtered or carted away across the 
the waves our Hamilton kept his guard up inside he was longing for something to be a part of the brother was ready to beg steal borrow a barter and a hurricane came devastation reigned and our man saw his future drip dripping down the drain put a pencil to his temple connected it to his brain and he wrote his first refrain a testament to his pain well the word got around they said this kid is insane man took up a collection just to send him to the mainland get your education don't forget from whence you came and the world is gonna know your name what's your name man alexander hamilton his name is Alexander Hamilton And there's a million things he hasn't done But just you wait, just you wait When he was ten, his father split full of it Debt-ridden, two years later See Alex and his mother bedridden Half-dead, sitting in their own sick The scent thick, and Alex got better But his mother went quick Moved in with a cousin, the cousin committed suicide Left him with nothing but ruined pride Something new inside a voice saying Alex, you gotta fend for yourself He started retreating and reading every treatise on the shelf There would've been nothing left to do for someone less astute He would've been dead or destitute without a cent of restitution Started working, clerking for his late mother's landlord Trading sugar cane and rum and other things he can't afford Scamming for every book he can get his hands on Planning for the future, see him now as he stands on the bow of a ship Headed for a new land in New York Harbor now, see if you can spot him. Another immigrant coming up from the bottom. His enemies destroyed his rep. America forgot him. And me, I'm the damn fool that shot him. Alexander Hamilton, we were waiting in the weeds for you. You could never back down, you always had to speak your mind. But Alexander Hamilton. We could never take your deeds from you In our cowardice and our shame We will try to destroy your name But the world will never be the same Alexander Yeah, I'm the damn genius that shot him Thank you So you may have heard in that clip, some people were laughing. The president of the United States was laughing. Now, it it wasn't necessarily mean-spirited. The crowd clearly thought this was just a clever little ditty written by a talented performer as a way of celebrating American politics during his visit to the White House. But Lin-Manuel Miranda and his talented group of friends were deadly serious about this. The idea evolved from a concept album known as the Hamilton Mixtape into a full-blown production. Anchored by hip-hop and R&B stylings, the music drew inspiration from the likes of Notorious B.I.G., J.Lo, Ja Rule, and uh, even in a couple songs, Paul McCartney. The show also cast people of color for characters or figures that were historically and literally white. (laughs) So six years after the White House performance, during the summer of 2015, the two-hour and 45-minute musical, now known as Hamilton, debuted on Broadway. It was a critical and commercial hit. 
in the four years since its debut, there hasn't been a single performance at the Richard Rogers Theater in New York that hasn't sold out. At least I think. <laughs> when the show started its tour in San Francisco, 110,000 people tried to buy tickets. The entire run was sold out within 24 hours. But as buzz continued to grow, selling out in hours became selling out in minutes. It'd be seconds if these websites didn't have a virtual queue that prevented them from crashing. In 2016, Hamilton nearly swept the Tony Awards. It received a record-setting 16 nominations in 13 different categories. The show and its stars won 11 of those 13. It was also the first show to ever make $3 million in a single week on Broadway. At the end of his White House performance a decade ago, Miranda sings, The world will never be the same Alexander. At that time, I don't think even he knew how true that would be. Not about Alexander Hamilton's life necessarily, but about this show. From a fun little performance in our nation's capital to the most extraordinary piece of art created in the 21st century, Hamilton has to be seen to be believed. Hamilton can currently be seen in New York, San Francisco, and Chicago. The worldwide tour has over 40 cities announced over the next two years in cities in North America, Australia, and the UK. I had the pleasure of seeing it in Philadelphia, messed up the pronunciation of my own town, where it will be through mid-November. Now, getting tickets to this thing is darn near impossible, or rather expensive. But Lin-Manuel Miranda started a tradition a long time ago in New York that gave people, perhaps like you and I, who don't have 500 or or $1,000 to spend on a couple of tickets to a groundbreaking show. And they actually put out, uh, they used to do it differently in New York, but now you download the Hamilton app, and you can actually join a lottery. And if you win the lottery, you get a chance to buy two tickets uh, at, I believe, $10 a piece. So you can do that almost every single day. Uh, you just go on there and hit enter lottery. Make sure your post notifications are turned on because uh, uh, your push notifications, as it were, because God forbid you won and didn't know. <laughs> but it's nice. They send out a text message every every morning around like 930 to let you know if you've won or not. I did not win. I actually bought a subscription to Broadway Philadelphia in order to ensure that I got tickets to Hamilton. Uh, but so I saw the show for the first time the other night, and not only did I see it uh, for the first time, I actually listened to Act Two for the first time. See, when, uh, this, when this got on my radar, I thought, huh, 11 Tony Awards, it's, it's got to be interesting. And as it turns out, it was interesting and inspiring and innovative endlessly innovative, endlessly inspiring, and endlessly interesting. So I started to listen to it, and I loved it. I was borderline addicted to listening to it, which is interesting because I've never really enjoyed a Broadway show like that other than maybe The Lion King. I mean, I like live shows a lot, but uh, Hamilton struck a chord with me for a lot of reasons. First and foremost, obviously, it's it's music, 
So I listened to the first act over and over and over again, and I made a promise to myself that I would never listen to the second act, and that way when I finally did have the opportunity to see it, there would still be something new and special to experience. Uh, the other reason that Hamilton has struck a chord with me is, is a lot of the themes, and that is, uh, minor spoiler alert here, but it's history. Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton didn't necessarily see eye to eye, and in a lot of ways, it was because of the way that they approached life very differently. Burr was a little bit of a opportunist. Now, throughout the play, you start to understand why he is that way, okay? Uh, he's not going to ruffle very many feathers, whereas Alexander Hamilton is willing to, oftentimes unprompted, offer his opinion on things. And that's a trait that anybody that knows me personally knows that uh, I also hold. <laughs> For a long time, politically, I would write these long, 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 preachy paragraphs, really, about, about things that mattered to me. And then oftentimes I would get infuriated because the people that were totally unwilling to express their opinion on their own feeds, especially publicly, would be willing to chastise me privately. And, and in a lot of ways, not to say that I'm nearly as cool as the $10 founding father, Alexander Hamilton. It's just one of the things that I appreciate in there that he was uh, obnoxiously uh, vocal. And that's something that I can definitely identify with, especially, as I said, in the political realm. Uh, but there's so much more in Hamilton to enjoy. Uh, there's several characters. There is Aaron Burr. There is Alexander Hamilton. There's basically his three best friends who help uh, navigate the, what would it be, American Revolution, really, when we, when we declared our independence. And one of the best characters, minor spoiler, but if you know about Hamilton's life, how can you avoid this, is George Washington is in the play. And he's a fantastic character. Alexander Hamilton and him have a great relationship. And all throughout Act One, we get to experience love and and fighting and eventual, a spoiler alert, if you haven't read history, uh, we won. We won the war. Uh, we gained our independence. And that all happens in Act One. Then we follow Alexander Hamilton's life after the war and what that looked like, what it looked like at being a family man, what it looked like trying to be a statesman. As we heard earlier, Lin-Manuel Miranda said that he caught beef with every founding father, and that was relatively true. Uh, Hamilton wanted to put a financial structure in place that saddled every state with its debt, okay, that we would create a United States of America, and in order to do that, we needed basically a, a centralized federal treasury. Now, again, this is interesting because we have things in the modern world that, um, that we're also dealing with uh, in, in a similar way that Hamilton was. Okay, There's people out there. As I said earlier in this podcast, I received a text message from a certain presidential candidate. A lot of candidates on the left-hand side of the political spectrum right now are preaching some degree of socialized medicine or education. And in a lot of ways, that echoes Ham Hamilton's sentiments that the, 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 the sum is greater than the, nope, 
I messed this up when I was talking about it in class today. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. There it is, nailed at that time. Okay, so that's an idea that was put forth by Hamilton. And as we said, there's ramifications for that. <laughs> I was holding my phone in my hand and accidentally turned on the new Post Malone album, which is uh, actually really fantastic. But my phone touched the play button. So Hamilton and some modern presidential candidates and uh, a lot of different people have this phrase. Uh, this isn't a Hamilton phrase, but it's a Hamilton ideology that, uh, yeah, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, meaning that together, united, we are more. Uh, that, yes, two plus two still equals four, but in a way, when you put together all of the resources of all Americans, uh, two plus two actually equals freaking 10. Okay. So again, it's really interesting to see the parallels. In addition to that, we live in a world and I don't mean to get all preachy and political here. I hope that my bias isn't shining through. And if it is, I hope that it's not ruining your experience of listening to this podcast. Uh, but in a world that's increasingly cynical in a world where we're increasingly combative and divisive we learn from hamilton that expressing ideas to one another in a civil fashion is the breeding ground for compromise and that's a good thing okay that maybe you do need to talk this out now again a lot of people would say well rye you are not an elected official and i am not an elected official so why should we why should we go all you know 10 rounds in a boxing match is it 10 rounds or is it 12? I don't care. Uh, why should we go, you know, blow for blow in the ring when we're not even elected officials? When people, you know, when our votes might not even necessarily count in the eyes of some people. Well, the story of Hamilton begins with, as we heard Lin-Manuel say, uh, a bastard, orphan, immigrant. And that man came here. And he shaped our country forever. Now, I understand that that was before we had 350 million people in this country and 250 years of history and laws. But the power of one person to make a difference cannot be understated. And that's one of the great themes in Hamilton. In addition to that, the love story that runs throughout. He eventually ends up marrying one woman. Um, and, yeah, I don't want to spoil that part. The whole thing is is very is very good. But yeah, getting a chance to see the play that I listened to a hundred times, a thousand times, seeing it come to life on stage was nothing short of magical. And then to basically get a sequel, if you will, by, by you know, we took the intermission, we came back for act two. It's a sequel I had never seen before. And it blew my mind. I cannot recommend this enough. There, There is some minor language throughout the play, but I think that this is the type of show that can appeal to people of all ages. And this is not anything new. Like I said, in the three, four years since its debut, it's been the most successful Broadway show. It may go down as the most successful Broadway show of all time because it's subsequently classic. Uh, it's timeless. It's about the foundation of our nation, a story that we should never get tired of hearing, a story that should be told over and over and over again. And we should take pride in that. And we should learn lessons from that. And we should celebrate that over and over and over again. 
even if you're one of the international listeners, and I know on my YouTube channel I have a few international subscribers, I don't know if you guys have come over to this feed, um, but this is not an American nationalism story that beats the drums of why America and only America is great. Again, it is about the power of citizens in a country. It is about the power of, of individuals voicing their opinions, taking on civic duty proudly, being an active member in the, in the foundation and formation and continuation of their nation's identity. And that's what we can take away from Hamilton. That's why when this debuted years ago, uh, it struck a chord with people because in the 21st century, in, in the 21st century, we have been dealing with a nation where half of the country hates one another. Okay. One half hates the other half. Politics has gotten so incredibly ugly that uh, we, 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 we've viewed one another as enemies. And while ideas like that are present throughout Hamilton, the power of conversation is continually highlighted. So this is a show about conversation. This is a show about contributions to our society. This is a show about hope. This is a show about the power of the individual. It's a show about love. It's a show about friendship. It's a show about rivalries. Okay. Again, none of this is new. We all know Hamilton freaking rocks. I'm just sharing my impressions of it. So if you are interested in Hamilton and let's hope that I don't accidentally turn on post Malone again, if you're interested in Hamilton, but you're kind of like, I don't know, man, like, do I really want to shell out? You figure you're still going to pay my tickets. And again, I'm an open book. My tickets were like 150 bucks a piece. So I spent over $300 to go see Hamilton uh, for mm, not bad seats. Not at all. They were great seats, but um, it was a, it was a big investment. So uh, maybe I'll toss this on a Spotify playlist later and post it on the website. If not, just a couple, couple titles here for you. Uh, I would definitely start with Alexander Hamilton, which you've already heard if you've listened to this podcast, but you can hear the evolution of it and you can hear what it sounds like when there's a whole cast singing it. Uh, then I would also suggest really the high water, not the high water mark of the play, but the most popular song in the play is My Shot. It's the third song. And it's Lin-Manuel, uh, excuse me, Hamilton's basically hiccup. Uh, it's Hamilton's <laughs> declaration. And so basically what he intends to do and what makes it so remarkable is he, he does it. Um, I also would love for you to listen to You'll Be Back. Okay, now when you hear that, uh, that's the King of England talking about how uh, they will... We will be back, okay, how we're never going to be able to survive without England. Now, the thing I want you to remember here is in the original cast recording, the lead on the show Mindhunter is the king in the play, in the original cast recording. Uh, I'd also recommend the song after that, which is Right Hand Man. And this is about how Hamilton and Washington basically got into, into the relationship that they were in. And then the absolute like banger 
is you've got 10 Dual Commandments, which is basically a cover of Notorious B.I.G.'s 10 Crack Commandments, if you're familiar with that song. And then I, I can't recommend enough Guns and Ships, followed by History Has Its Eyes on You, followed by Yorktown, uh, in parentheses, The World Turned Upside Down. Listen to those. If those don't catch your ear, Hamilton's not for you. Uh, but if they do, there's more of the same waiting for you uh, in the entire album if you want to listen to it or if you want to be a little bit like me and save it for the show. Uh, it's just truly outstanding. As I said in my written piece earlier here, I think it's the greatest piece of art created in the 21st century. I really do. Uh, I, I can't think of anything that compares to it in terms of a combination of talent and collaboration and impact uh, staying power. I know we're only five years in, but trust me, I don't think Hamilton in five or 10 or 15 or 20 years is going to be like, oh, I don't know. That was just a trend, man. No, I think Hamilton's here to stay. I think it's a part of Broadway forever, the same way that Cats and Miss Saigon and I guess Les Miserables and The Lion King, the same way that those shows came and they stayed forever. Uh, Hamilton's going to be one of those shows. And just the story of how we got here, the audacity of Lin-Manuel Miranda to say, uh, yeah, I'm going to write a hip hop show. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to color swap a lot of the, the historical figures in there, uh, as an effort to show that you don't just have to be white to make an impact or, or whatever his actual reasoning was. And there's so many books and podcasts and interviews out there with Lin-Manuel Miranda that you can check out once you get on your Hamilton kick. Uh, that he explains a lot of the decisions that he made. And I don't want to spoil those for you. I'm a big fan of natural discovery and, and curiosity being rewarded. So, um, yeah, guys, that's it. Hamilton rocked my socks. I, I was so excited to share it with you. I actually really enjoyed doing this episode. Not to say that I haven't enjoyed previous episodes, but sharing parts of my life, sharing things I'm passionate about, sharing a totally random fact about Prop 65, uh, running a little bit through AEW just kind of off the top of my head, not necessarily looking at a card, just giving me a chance to talk. I've really enjoyed that. So I want to thank you guys again for tuning in. I want to thank you for supporting the We Pod Squad takeover that occurred a couple weeks ago when Sean and I took over We Podcast and We Know Things. I want to thank you for supporting Greg and Sam's We Podcast and We Know Things through 150 plus episodes and hopefully for 150 plus more. Uh, because without that network and without our, the, the, the squad that we've built, which includes you guys, it's not just the four of us that talk into microphones on a weekly basis. Without that squad, none of us would have the opportunity to do this. None of us would have the opportunity to do this thing we love. And uh, of course, uh, next week, MRC Tech presents the last podcast will return. Uh, guys, you can always find me. Actually, you know what? I'm going to let my British lady tell you about where you can find me because uh, I had her record that. So that's it. I'm out of here. Be great. Be grateful. Connect with Ryan on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter by searching username Iron Ryan. Thank you for listening to The Iron Ryan Show. Ryan will return in two weeks with another episode. 